Good morning, Sayreville Church. Good morning. Oh, I like that. That's good. And happy 4th of July. I hope you guys are doing something fun with your family. Uh, I- I'm taking off with my wife and my four kids, ages six down to one, on a plane uh, to Florida. So you can pray for us. <laughs> Because it will be, if nothing else, sanctifying for my wife and I to have to deal with these kids. And it may honestly be better yet that that I'm leaving town because I've been given the, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, the hardest question Christians can ever be asked or are ever asked. And it's, it's one of the most common questions as well, and probably, maybe even especially for this new up-and-coming generation, both millennials and Gen Zers, probably one of the most prevalent questions that I think, as a church, we need to have an answer for, a really good one, and one that is filled with hope, right? And... As I'm describing this, I'm sure that some of you are probably already thinking about what that question is. And it is the question of why does God allow evil? It's a big one. And by evil, I mean both moral and natural evil. From from the Holocaust, the murders of the Holocaust, down to the collapsing buildings in Florida that don't necessarily have anything to do with a human agency, but just a natural evil. And this question is is called the problem of evil because it does seem like a major problem, right? And And this question alone has led many people to not believe in God, right? And so they'll ask the question, look, I or make the statement that is, I can't buy into this God. I don't believe in him because if he really was all-powerful, then he would get rid of all of the evil, so he must not be a loving God, if that's the case. Or, or if he really is a loving God, then he must not be powerful enough to get rid of the evil, so therefore I'm just not going to buy into this God. I don't, I don't believe that this God is who you say he is. And in fact, I, I used to uh, hang out with one of my friends, and he had arguably the most evil upbringing I have ever heard someone explain to me in my life. And I couldn't help but really just feel bad for the guy. And he said to me, he goes, John, if this God exists, then he is an evil God, and I would never want to spend eternity with him in heaven. This is kind of the psyche that that people think through when they ask this question. And others, they really ask it from an emotional perspective with, with great pain in their eyes because, like my friend, they're experiencing the evil. It's not just a logical or philosophical problem that they can solve. But it is a big question that is logical. It is philosophical. And so whether you're coming at it from an intellectual perspective or an emotional perspective, the question of why does God allow Evil really does boil down to being a question about the character of God. Who is God? Is he really who he says he is? Can I buy into this God? And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to try and and explain to you something. And actually, I'm going to do what, what most teachers don't do. I'm going to give you the answer right now. Are you ready? 
Here's the answer. Here's my quick answer for why God allows evil. God allows evil so that against its backdrop, his perfect character can be on full display. So God in and of himself is a lot like this diamond that you're going to see here. It's perfect, it's beautiful, it's valuable in and of itself, but evil is like a backdrop behind the glory of God that puts his full character on display for for all of you to be able to see and to enjoy. And believe it or not, this is the most loving thing that God can do for you. And that's what I'm going to try and show you today. And I'm going to do that by, by going deeper and not just giving you that overarching question or answer, but I'm going to go deeper by giving you three head and three heart answers to the problem of evil. I think that's necessary, right? Because we can't just give you emotional answers. Some of you are going to walk away going, okay, but that didn't answer my question. And I can't just give you logical answers because then you'll walk away and going, okay, I'm still hurting. Right? So I have to do both. We've got to do both. So I'm going to give you three head answers and three heart answers. And here's the first head answer. God allows evil to display the glory of his existence. Paul says in Romans 2.15, the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And what Paul is saying here is, is that you and I and every human have the knowledge of good and evil ingrained into your conscience. The knowledge of right and wrong has been ingrained into the core of who you are. So when a skeptic, when somebody who, who, who may not believe in God, maybe that's you, maybe you're listening and this is you, I'm describing you. When you challenge the existence of God based on the fact that there is evil in the world, the irony of this is you're really sawing off the branch that you're intellectually sitting on. It doesn't hold weight because you cannot, listen, you cannot object to something evil unless you have an understanding of the standard of goodness, right? And if there is no God, then, then, then where is this understanding of rights and wrongs coming from. I'll tell you where it's coming from. It had to come from you and me. And that's not objective. That's subjective. That means right and wrong, if God does not exist, there is no such thing as right and wrong. And Lewis pointed this out, C.S. Lewis, that is, when he, when he said, a man does not know, a, or he does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Right, so the straight line, the standard for goodness is God. And, and more than that, and more than just the fact that evil exists points to God's existence, um, the fact that we desire a world in which there is no evil points to God's existence. Have you ever thought about that? So, so I, uh, I, I just the other day, I had this opportunity. One of my classmates, she literally was like, hey, John, why are you so different from when you used to be in high school? I was like, well, if that's not a witnessing opportunity, I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> and so I took it, of course. And as I was sharing the gospel with her, uh, she has a total arm sleeve of the Little Mermaid. And so I just pointed at it, and I said, okay, think about this for a second. Is not at least in part 
one of the reasons why you would get the little mermaid tattooed on your arm because there's something deep down inside of you that desires a life like hers, where everything is a fairy tale. Everything works out in the end. All the good guys are thrown away. All the good guys win. Prince Charming comes in and saves the day. And that resonated with her, right? And that shouldn't just resonate with her. This should resonate with every single one of us. Because guys, follow me. Our hearts, our desire for, for, for a world in which there is no evil is our hearts screaming for a perfect world. And that is because it's not that God doesn't exist. It's we're created that way because we were created to be in a relationship with this perfect God for all of eternity in heaven. So God allows evil to display the glory of his existence Here's the second head question. God allows evil to display the glory of his wisdom. All of the Bible talks about this. Uh, I'll give you a couple of them. Job 12, 13. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Isaiah 28, 29. He, the Lord, is wonderful in counseling and excellent in wisdom. Romans 6, 27. Paul calls him the only wise God. And then one of my favorite verses is Paul, this is right after he gets done debating the smartest men in the world when he was in Athens in Acts 17. He comes back, goes to Corinth and says this to them, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Stephen Lawson sums up God's wisdom like this. God chooses the best means to achieve the highest ends. In other words, in in God's wisdom, he's so wise that he could create a world in which he could be most glorified and you could be most fulfilled. And here's how this works out with, with evil in God's wisdom. In God's wisdom, he has created a world in which the greatest possible thing, the most loving possible thing that could ever happen to humans is actually possible. And that is for you and I to be able to have a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe, your own creator. This is the best thing that could ever happen to you. But the caveat is that this can only happen if we have the ability to reject him. Right? I have a wife, and she loves me. I think she loves me. And the reason I think she loves me is because she has the ability to leave me. If I came home and put a gun to her head and said, tell me you love me, I just have a suspicion it would not be very genuine. Right? She loves me because she has the option to leave me. In fact, Clay Jones, a professor at Biola, says, if God forces us to choose him, how many people would be Christians? Everyone, he says. But then he goes on to say, but how many would be worshipers? And I'll add to that, how many would be lovers of God? I'm not sure. We are given 
an option. And with this option, we as a collective human race have chosen to reject this God because we've convinced ourselves of the ultimate lie, which is we'd be better off if we were God. And because of our rejection, this is where evil stems from. The evil of sin entered the world because of our rejection of God. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So one right answer to why God allowed evil in the world is because he allowed you in the world and me into the world. And when you think about it like that, <laughs> you're actually kind of thankful that he doesn't wipe out evil like we think we want him to because we wouldn't be here. Thirdly, and last head question, stick with me on these. God allows evil to display the glory of his goodness. Genesis 18.25 says, Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? 2 Samuel 10.12, May the Lord do what seems good to him. Psalm 34a, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 145 verse 9 the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now, as Christians, we can't just be willy-nilly about brushing this question off, because admittedly, when you look at all of the evil and the suffering in the world, it is very hard to see and wrap our minds around how God could have a good reason for allowing it, right? It's just... If you're experiencing it, you know exactly, I just don't get it, right? But remember, we're in the head answers right now. So intellectually, just because we can't think of a good enough reason for God to allow evil for a greater good does not mean that there isn't a reason, right? I mean, I have a one-year-old daughter, and she may not understand. She may not be able to wrap her head around the reason why I won't let her run around with a pen. But there is a really good reason, right? She just can't comprehend it. I can, but she cannot. And so if our last two points are true, mainly that, that this God is a good God. He is the standard for goodness. And he is actually, by his creation, he has demonstrated his infinite wisdom by the way in which he created this world, then intellectually, does it not follow that this God, this good and wise God, would have good and wise reasons for permitting evil? I think, I think that's a good conclusion to have, right? If he is who he is, then he will have good and wise reasons for why he's allowing what he's allowing. And more than just thinking through this, God has given us examples of this all throughout Scripture. Just open up your Bible. You'll find it time and time again. Joseph is the poster child for something like this. But let me give you another example. 
It's Stephen. Do you remember Stephen in Acts 7 and 8? The very first martyr of Christianity. He was drug out by the religious rulers and rocks were thrown at his head until he died. That's evil. It is evil to murder someone. And yet, in Acts 8 verse 1, it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And if you know your Bible, you know what I'm getting at here. What I'm getting at is that in his infinite wisdom and goodness, God used the evil act of murder and persecution of the church to spread the gospel. And aren't you glad? And, and, and it continues, because just a chapter later, arguably the, the greatest evangelist of all time, Paul, is converted because of the chain events of an evil act taking place in which Stephen was murdered. God's reasons are good. And surely you can probably think up some in your own life, right? How, how God has done something like this for you. Uh, just the other day, I got to sit down for coffee with a, a guy that I, I got to lead to Christ about five years ago, kind of fell off, didn't really know what happened to him. And we get coffee just last week. And this guy's life was, he was evil. I mean, he treated his wife evilly. He treated his, his family evilly. And, and it was just such a joy because I sat there and I was listening to him. And he was describing how God has so radically changed his life that he just led eight men to Christ. And all of those men also treating their families horribly, and he is now counseling them as to how to be a biblical man. God's ways are good. He changes people. They're good. He knows what he's doing. And even though we shouldn't expect to understand all of the reasons for why God is permitting the evil, what we should expect is that a perfectly good and wise God will have perfectly good and wise reasons for permitting evil and suffering. So that's the head. Now we can come down, right? We're in the lofters. Now we can come down a little bit, right? So, so let's move from the head to the heart answers because any of you who have dealt with any type of evil or suffering in your life, you know that no amount of logic can comfort a heart that is grieved by the pains of evil and suffering. And so let me give you three heart answers to this problem. And if you're listening and, and maybe you're here and you are one of those skeptics um, and you're starting to think through things a little bit, then listen to this next heart answer. And really, I think this is probably one of the only ones that you'll need to hear. And this is what it is. God allows evil to display the glory of his grace. Ephesians 1, Paul tells us, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
God allows evil so that against its backdrop, he could display one of the finest gems of his, and that is his grace. Grace is what Christianity offers you that is completely different from any other worldview. All other worldviews, whether you're secular or whether you're from another religion, they try and solve the problem of evil, evil by either denying it or trying to make up for it on their own merit, right? So if you're, if you're secular or maybe you're, you're, you're Buddhist, then you just got to deny it, right? It is what it is. You live. Evil happens to you. You die. That's it. We've already seen that. That can't be the case because evil really does exist. We can't deny its, its reality. And the fact that we, we desire a perfect world also gives evidence that this can't be the case. So that, that's not the answer. And on the other hand, if, if you're coming from a different religion, they say that your good works, somehow your good works can erase your evil and then progressively you will become perfect. Right? If you boil the religions down, that is what they're saying. But guys, this, this can't be possible either. If poison is dropped into your drinking water, how do you scoop it out? You can't. You can't. It, the poison has been infiltrated with or the water, rather, has been infiltrated with the poison. And this is the same way with our sin. Our sin, our, ourselves, have been so infiltrated with sin that it's not like we can just take this good work sponge over here and just try and erase all of the evil or all of the, the, the sin that is in me. Something else has to happen. The only way to get rid of the poison is for it to be poured out. And for you to be given a brand new, fresh cup of water. And guys, this is the gracious gift that is being offered to you in Jesus. Listen to how Isaiah describes Jesus in the summary of Isaiah 53. He says, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Jesus, guys, Jesus is your most complete answer. He's where you're going to find your most complete answer to the problem of evil is in Jesus because all of the deadly poisons of your sin that you have committed have been poured out onto Jesus on the cross as a wrath-removing sacrifice, and God is now offering you as this gracious gift 
Jesus' righteousness. It's like a cup of living water with no poison in it anymore. And this is a water that you can drink, and it won't just satisfy you for today or this life. It will satisfy you for next year and the year after, and then the day that you die for all of eternity. That's how long this cup of living water will satisfy you. Grace sets this God apart from the rest. He didn't stay distant from your evil and suffering. He took on and then destroyed our evil and our suffering when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead three days later, proclaiming his victory over death itself. Amen? Amen. Jesus is not an answer to the problem of evil. Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified, risen from the dead, is the answer to the problem of evil. And so I just have a quick question. Do you believe that? And I mean that. Do you believe that? Some of you here have just been coming to church and you don't believe that. You've heard this before, and you don't believe that. You're, you're listening, and, and maybe you're thinking through these, these ideas of why God would allow evil, and you don't believe that. Today, believe that. Now, let me talk to you Christians a little bit. Those of you who would say, I do. I do believe that. I know this is true of me. Let me give you two heart answers for you to wrap your, your, your arms around. And the first one is that God allows evil to display the glory of his faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So I just got, about two years ago, went on the men's wilderness trip, and I had to carry these canoes, you know, and it's super painful. And in your brain, you're thinking, I just can't do this, right? This is impossible to get through. It's, it's so hard. Although I knew that there was an end, so we have to carry from one lake to the other, these canoes over your back, and I knew that there was an end, but in the moment, it just seemed like there was just no way I'm getting through this, right? And, and the most encouraging thing that can happen to you in that moment is when somebody comes from the other side, and they say, hey, you're almost there, right? I mean, then you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm almost there. We're ready. Well, as a Christian, when you're in the midst of evil, and when you're in the midst of suffering, you may know in your own mind, you may know that it's not meaningless, that it's not going to last for forever. But in the moment, if you're being honest with yourself, in the moment, you would say, but it feels like it. Right now, it really, really feels like this was never going to end. And maybe you just need someone to come alongside you and, and, and encourage you with the truth of Scripture that God is faithful God is faithful, and watch this, he's even faithful in the midst of your evil that you're going through. Do you remember the story of Jesus talking to Peter? And he says to him in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And if you're Peter at that time, you're kind of like, you said no, right, <laughs> Jesus? You stopped him? I've read Job. I know you can. That's not what he says. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. God allowed the devil himself to get his hands on Peter for the infinitely meaningful purpose of strengthening his faith and the strength, strengthening of the faith of those around him as well. So maybe you're here today and you would say, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm being sifted by the hand of meaningless evil right now. I said this last time I preached, and I'll say it again. When you are in the midst of suffering, when you are in the midst of your evil, God doesn't want you to be dependent on an answer for why this is happening to you. God wants you to be dependent on his character. God wants you to be dependent on him. He is a faithful, good, and wise God. Put your hope in that, not anything else. Lastly, God allows evil to display the glory of his new kingdom. And this is where it all comes to a climax, right? After Jesus returns, he's going to throw Satan into hell, and he's going to set up the new heavens. He's going to set up the new earths. He's going to reign, and as Revelation 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The final answer for all your earthly sorrow is an eternity enjoying the fullness of God's character in heaven. Isn't that amazing? And this is why, if you believe this, if you've trusted in this, you can say along with Paul, in confidence that I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us. Or in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So why does God allow evil? Because against its backdrop, his perfect character can be on full display. There's a story of uh, Howard Hendricks who visited a leprosy center in India that really wraps up this, the point of this message really well. He visits this, this center with this horrible, everyone has these horrible disease, this disease, and this lady got up. She's in, completely disfigured, and she gets up, and she raises her hands up to heaven with almost all of her fingers missing because of the disease. And with a loud voice, this is what she says. She says, I want to praise God that I am a leper because it was through my leprosy that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I would rather be a leper who knows Christ than be completely whole and a stranger from his grace. So here's the last question as we transition to the Lord's table. Is that how you see God in the midst of evil? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a wise God. Lord, you are a God who has your thoughts being so high, so much higher than ours, Lord. That's not a Christian cop-out. That is a biblical truth. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to trust in your character, 
Teach us to trust in who you are. And Lord, I pray if there is a soul in here who does not know you, I pray that they would look at the God who did not stay distant from suffering but embodied it. Lord, we love you. In your son's name, amen.